Well, welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Kenneth. Today we talk with Dr. Rick Graves, an aerospace engineer who went from the open skies of Oklahoma to a digital world where aircraft are made up of zeros and ones. In three, two, one. Welcome, Rick. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. You're our guest today because you do some really cool work with what you call AFRL's digital hangar. Uh, could you explain what that is? Right now, the uh, AFRL has an initiative in digital engineering. Uh, we have a lot of really uh, bright and talented people that are, that are looking at kind of defining how AFRR, AFRL is going to digitally transform to meet some of the uh, design and uh, challenges that, that we're seeing uh, going forward with a lot of our aerospace systems. So what exactly is digital engineering for a non-engineer? Really, the, the official definition is it's a, basically an integrated digital approach where we use what we call authoritative truth sources for uh, system data and models. So it's a continuum across a lot of the disciplines that we're interested in, like aerospace, I'm sorry, aerodynamics, uh, structural dynamics, propulsion systems, and it's really to look at the entire life cycle of an aerospace system all the way from its early design phases all the way in until the system is disposed of. So it's uh, the complete life cycle. So like the digital part is so you have a, a plane, like a fighter aircraft, but it's digitized so that right. you can run. Right, we, we, have a, we have a digital representation of uh, a lot of the uh, Air Force systems and we are able to go in and do simulations based on those digital models. Now this is something that we do to because it's a lot cheaper for us to address problems or to look at uh, physics-based questions uh, through simulation. As you go up the scale to ground test and even a flight test, uh, that becomes more and more expensive. So we like to give our decision makers the options to explore a lot of their concept development through digital means rather than uh, going all the way to flight test. So once you get up to a flight test, you know you're looking at something that uh, has been through the, the ringer, so to speak. It's been vetted, and, uh, but being able to look at preliminary concepts uh, in terms of transitioning technology is something we really like to look at as early as we can. To help us move, move faster, move right, smarter. Right, to help us uh, transition our technology more efficiently. And working with that then, so how much do you have built up in this digital hangar? Is this kind of a project you're going plane by plane or just a project by project? This is something that, that's brand new. We're able to, we hope to add to it as we look at new projects. So we're, we're taking a few uh, candidate test cases and we're maturing those to see how it looks and how it's received. And it's really not just a digital description of the model, it's, it's all of the data that goes along with that model that might be uh, useful in uh, another concept called uh, a digital thread that, that uh, is uh, another uh, focus area for digital engineering. And with the goal someday to be like, let's say once you've built this up enough, someone says, hey, I want a new part for, let's just say an F-22, you could just pull that up and start almost working on the plane itself, but in this digital hangar? Well, it's, it's all inside of our computers. If you have a new technology that's coming up, we would like to be able to uh, look at that technology uh, already modeled and integrated within our framework. To, to This can be a existing platform or something that's brand new, that's, I say, a new class of vehicle that's being designed. So it, you, it, you really want to, to look at how things are integrated uh, together as early as possible in the acquisition process as you can. That makes sense. And that 
So you can do that before you go to a ground test, which is where you actually have something physical that you're testing, which would be a lot more expensive right. and timely. Right. Especially, for, and especially for a flight test, because that's really, you start looking at does, does that vehicle that you've designed and you've taken through some ground testing, does that actually perform uh, to meet the requirements? Uh, that's where you start also testing the, you know, the human machine interface. Uh, is this something that uh, people are gonna be comfortable flying? You look at a lot of our, our, our pilots that uh, you know, test these platforms. That's that's really the a lot a lot of times you wait until flight test to, to shake out some questions. So we would like to address these things earlier in the uh, design process. That's good because some of our listeners might be, might not be familiar with flight tests. So that's a lot more involved process. Right. Oh yes. And that's something uh, that for the listeners as well to help kind of envision. Um, so you said you have a lot of these stored in your database, but what does your day-to-day, -day, you could say, look like? Are you working at a console? Is this like virtual reality? Like, how does this uh, work? I have a, a workstation at my desk, and uh, a, lot, a lot of the people uh, in our, on our applications team are, use a very similar workflow. So we have a digital model of, a, of an aircraft in front of us. Uh, we may be looking at high-fidelity physics that are associated with the aerodynamics around that configuration, or, or we have other people that are more focused in structural analysis, as well as the interactions that go on between uh, uh, aerodynamics and structures, and that gets into a field called aeroelasticity. That's crazy. Like, imagine that you people don't really think about how many working parts go into an aircraft until you have to build one digitally. That's right. And a lot of these pieces then, so let's say you're running a stress test, so you'll do anything from inclement weather, different conditions, or is this just a very simple, you're showing uh, what a standard takeoff would look like with these new parts? Well, our, the, the Aerosciences Center that we're at within RQ is very much a, what I'll call a basic research to a more applied research organization. Okay. So we will have customers come in that, that are interested in exploring the, say, the uh, uh, aerodynamic, uh, let's take a simple concept like, like aircraft drag. Uh, we maybe uh, want to explore new types of technologies to reduce drag for our legacy fleet. So our basic research contributors will, will look at developing uh, new techniques for things like flow control, as well as uh, changes in the basic ge geometrical shapes that may influence drag reduction on something like a large transport, say like a C5. So. The workflow we have, uh, workstations we have in front of us allow us to actually take the knowledge we learn from the, our people on our teams that are more uh, focused in basic research, but we have to actually apply what they've learned in our models that we develop when we run our simulations. So for the simulations, who are some of your customers or collaborators, it probably goes both ways. We uh, uh, collaborate across across the board with people from academia uh, as well as industry, uh, NASA. We will also uh, you know, communicate with the system program offices based on the project. And kind of taking a step back from that, um, a lot of people may be wondering as well, how do you end up in a position like this? How did you become a digital engineer? Uh, digital engineering, again, is, is a relatively new term. I'm just a vanilla uh, aerospace engineer but I have a, a background in probabilistics. I also have an interest in things like data science and data engineering. So really, uh, you know, the design, uh, future design of aerospace systems is, is couched in probabilistics. I'm looking at, to become a more of a, if you're interested in digital engineering, what you're looking at is the, you're really overlaying a lot of uh, uh, you know, new areas 
uh, in the lab where you, you have to blend those things together to it's it's really a new type of career field for uh, a lot of people like I, I have a son that we hope he's going to be a Buckeye uh, starting in the fall and yes. he's uh, he's very interested in anything digital a lot of the new kids guys that come in the you know men and women that come into the lab they're already uh, well up to speed on a lot of the uh, probabilistic techniques which uh, a lot of us have kind of tried to, you know, had to kind of relearn as we've uh, gotten into this field a little bit more. It's really an exciting area, I think, for pe uh, people that are interested in maybe working for the lab is uh, we are defining what the digital transformation for AFRL is going to look like in the next 10 years. So this is a time for uh, uh, new ideas and new approaches. And what actually is probabilistics? If you don't know what the probabilities are, uh, you know, just think of uh, you know, people that go to Vegas. You, know, you start dealing with what's the probability of success for an aerospace system. So what's the probability that you may have a wing fail? You need to have methods that allow you to make those types of uh, life cycle predictive outcomes before you actually test it. So you're looking at probabilities. Uh, it's really helpful to think of uh, the, the probabilities you might uh, see when you go to a, a place like Las Vegas. There's very fundamental classes in probabilistics that you know, kids take these days in high school. Being able to apply that to an aerospace system requires some pretty uh, structured approaches. Sure, yeah, I was thinking, you know, go back to my statistics classes, I just hadn't heard a, a phrase like yeah, that. Yeah, I was wondering, but that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So, and that's, I'm assuming you have some pretty hefty equations that you got to pull out to make sure this works, or is this already pumped into the system? Uh, you would like to take advantage of, of products, which we, we buy from vendors that already have a lot of the uh, the probabilistic methods baked in. Okay. But it's all, it's all statistics derived. Uh, anyone that's taken a statistics class or there's a, a term I call that we call design of experiments. If you're going to do an experiment, there's a way to get maximum value from a minimum resource investment. And that really, there's different strategies for doing that. And I don't want to get too technical, but uh, uh, that, that's, a, that's a common approach uh, that, we, that we use uh, in the Aerospace Systems Directorate. And where did you take uh, your studies? What college did you attend, or how did you well, get I, out Well, I, I, grew, I grew up in uh, Southwest Oklahoma. I, I was a, a Sooner through my master's degree. Uh, my classical training is actually more more in the hypersonics realm, but uh, I uh, I took a a risk, quote unquote, and I went and uh, I moved up to uh, Colorado and got my PhD up at the University of Colorado up up in Boulder. You know, taking a managed risk uh, really paid off for me because that's that's where I did meet my uh, my spouse as well. Uh, my son was born in the Denver area, and then uh, we moved back to this area because uh, Wright Patterson was nice. Uh, halfway stopping point between Oklahoma and where my uh, uh, wife's parents are up in uh, upstate New York. Wright Patterson's a little bit weighted toward the uh, the Buffalo side <laughs> of uh, the uh, the United States, but uh, uh, both both the family sets are well within driving distance. So, Did you always want to go into aerospace engineering? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I grew up on a horse ranch in Oklahoma with my dad. He's in the uh, national uh, Hall of Fame for uh, paint horse racing. So I grew up with uh, lots of horses around and 
lots of open skies. Oh wow, do you still ride them? Is riding allowed in Ohio? I'm not sure. I've uh, seen no. people do it, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I, I do know quite a few uh, people that uh, we work with that uh, maintain their own horses at, at, at uh, local stables and yeah. stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I grew up with that. I'll never forget it. I could smell horses uh, on demand, so to speak. <laughs> so, uh, But we grew up under a lot of open skies and there was always planes flying over where we were. Uh, the Air Force Base that's right near us growing up in Oklahoma City is up at Tinker. I still get questions as to uh, why are you working at Wright-Patterson? Why don't you move back down to Oklahoma and work at Tinker? And I said, well, this is much more the, the area that you know, I have a lot of interest in. Uh, again, uh, working in the lab is, is it's just a great place to work. I mean, I've worked in uh, academia. Uh, I worked in industry for quite a few years at, at like a mid-level uh, OEM. But uh, being able to, to work in a lab environment, uh, I, you feel like you're getting a return on the, your time investment. So it was natural for me to, to want to uh, dip into aerospace engineering, but uh, my dad served in the Air Force. He was in Korea, but uh, he always wanted to be a pilot, but he was colorblind. So uh, my, my goal going, uh, growing up was all, you know, to go into the academy, but then I found out I had uh, congenital health reasons that I could not uh, put on the uniform. So it turned out I, you know, I wasn't horrible at math and science, so uh, I found out that that was a way I could still uh, pursue my interest in aerospace was to uh, just be an engineer. So, I mean, I knew from day one that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be try to you know to use uh, to go through the Air Force and potentially you know get into the astronaut program. We, we have a lot of the astronaut candidates in in our area, as uh, you know, listeners of the podcast may may remember. But yeah, uh, why does uh, why do so many people from Ohio want to leave the planet? Sort of right, sort leave of thing? the planet. Yeah. Well, it's not just Ohio; it's from Oklahoma as oh, well. Oh, Oklahoma. Okay. But uh, if you've ever been in Oklahoma in mid July, where you can get the entire month, it will be one hundred plus degree temperatures. Oh, uh, uh, I essentially I tell everyone I kind of grew up on the planet Vulcan, so uh, they all get that if they've uh, grown up in that area because uh, you know it's very flat. There's not a lot of mountainous terrain, so uh, it can. The droughts in the summer can be uh, quite eye-watering, literally, especially if you have a lot of livestock and stuff that you have to take care of. So, yeah, I bet, yeah, wow. So that that's where my interest area came from, and of course, the wide open skies also fed into my. Um, I have a twin brother. His interest is always in astrophysics. So while I was uh, thinking about how I was going to build maybe the next spaceship. He was uh, using telescopes, uh, you know, to look at the stars. Which, if you're out in the country and you're away from the city lights, you're able to get some really nice, uh, you know, views of the solar system. Yeah. And just uh, looking at stars and stuff was always something that we just grew up with. And you, you kind of take that for granted sometimes. And uh, we always like to go back and visit uh, when we can, just. Uh, remind myself of the things that, I mean, there's definitely a reason I left the farm to pursue my <laughs> sure. own fortune. So uh, my, uh, my parents are very good at giving me reasons to uh, uh, develop a way I could sustain myself, literally, so. Yeah. That's I, great though. Yeah. I wasn't expecting you know, to draw that parallel from growing up on essentially a horse farm to like, that, that's why you wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Sure. But yeah, I mean, family dinners have been great too. Because you oh, guys yeah. have, you know, you said that he's more astrophysicist. Is he still working? No, 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 he, he went to school to try to learn to be an astrophysicist. But oh, okay. he, he found other stuff 
that he was interested in doing, and he's pursuing that instead. Oh, gotcha. But uh, I know way too much about astrophysics, but you don't really <laughs> get a chance to apply that in the laboratory too much. So yeah, with um, along those lines, then um, you mentioned beforehand that while you weren't able to uh, go into the astronaut program, you still work with the students who've run through the program or help other aspiring students here at the labs. Uh, sure. In fact, we have a, uh, a young lady coming in and just next month through the Legacy program. So she's a high school student. And we're going to bring we bring high school students in as well as students just you know getting their bachelor's and their masters, as well as those that are pursuing their PhD. So we give them uh, the ability to be kind of exposed to our modeling and simulation process. Anyone that leaves our organization will have hands-on experience with uh, uh, developing a lot of the data that's associated with the models that might go in our digital hangar. I also get an opportunity, which I really like, to actually work with a lot of the, uh, you know, pe people who are, uh, you know, in the military. Uh, I find that very rewarding. Uh, it's the closest thing I found to, to being able to put on the uniform. I'm in the position where I can, you know, have an influence on on someone's uh, knowledge base, as well as their career. And that I know that when they leave our organization, they will have a very firm grasp of the types of things that we're trying to achieve well, you know, in our mission, as well as uh, you almost have the ability to, someone that's left the organization that goes to their next duty station will be able to reach back to AFRL if they need support in the areas that they, that we, they know we support. So again, we're in aerospace systems development. I've seen similar relationships in other places like the materials directorate, you know, out in Kirtland as well as out, out at Edwards. The relationships you develop with the people when they come through are, are they're, I mean, they're, they're lifetime relationships. Yeah, and once they, yep, and once they leave, they they know they can call us, and a lot a lot of times we're calling them to find out what did you actually do when you <laughs> produced this answer. So when you mentioned the legacy program, uh, could you explain that what that is exactly? Well, uh, I'm just learning about it myself, but the legacy program is a way for the for AFRL to bring in uh, high school students through a very specific set of uh, competitive conditions. So uh, where we were passed a, say, a list of eight to 10 candidates, and if their interest area matched up with what our, our, our subject matter expertise is, then uh, we could put in a call and say, we, we, we would like to lay, lay hands on this person, and uh, we think they can learn a lot and be very productive. Uh, again, this is it's roughly an eight-week time frame for the turnaround of you know, being able to start a project uh, work through it, and as well as finish and give a you know develop a final uh, final project and a final report, give a final presentation. You would think that would be challenging, and, and it is. But I, I'm not surprised anymore about what uh, young students can do. Uh, in fact, they they uh, raise the bar for us sometimes, and uh, you realize, wow, uh, if this guy with no training or this lady with no training comes in and d does this, I I really need to up my game a little <laughs> bit more, uh, you know, to double my productivity, so to speak. So so pretty cool for you know high school student. You know, they're not not that there's anything wrong with lifeguarding or babysitting over the summer, but to come in and work in a laboratory environment for the Air Force is pretty cool. Well, the whole STEM concept, you know, science, technology, engineering, and I apologize for missing the last M, but uh, there's really, there's another component to that, and that's uh, I, that my uh, in-laws have told me about, it's A, and that's the artistic component, so turning STEM into STEAM is uh, 
uh, something that uh, I'm interested in doing. Were you always looking to help bring this message to people, like be a teacher, kind of showing what STEAM could do? I have found myself in that role over the years. It's not necessarily something I've actively sought out, but uh, that's, a, that's turned into a fundamental component of the, the team lead role that I'm in, is that uh, we need to be able to take people who maybe have no background in modeling and simulation and uh, uh, train them up quickly to be productive. So being able to do that, I mean, I've had my own mentors over the years that have showed me the, the value in doing that and that the time that you spend helping someone get up, else up to speed is, is going to have a payoff down the road somewhere for you. So uh, do you have any advice to students out there looking to connect with the Air Force Research Laboratory? Well, I mean, if, if there's any advice I can recommend to people who want to work the lab is come to the lab and be prepared to, to take risks. I've always been rewarded for taking risks, and you're going to make mistakes. Feel free to make mistakes, and learn, from, but learn from those mistakes. One of my uh, driving uh, things that I try to do is I try to make plenty of mistakes every day, but I don't want to repeat the same mistake twice. So if you're not learning from the mistakes you're making, then that's on you. But making mistakes is definitely part of what I think of as the, the lab mentality. Again, we're, we're looking at an area where we as scientists and engineers are trying to get the people who are accepting our, the technology we're developing to embrace more risk. Now, the people we're delivering the technology to, by definition, are risk adverse. So we're trying to get, there's always this constant tug of war between a, a lab environment where you have a lot of risk, and on the other side, you have the you're, the people you're delivering the technology to that are risk adverse. So you want to get them much more comfortable with the, the risk that you're taken, taking to deliver them the technology that they really want. So that requires a lot of communication uh, between the two parties. There's also a paradigm that I like to follow called, I call it the SHIP principle. And SHIP stands for self-confidence, hard work, initiative, and positive attitude. And keeping the, uh, the, the ship steady, so to speak, is, is what I try to do every day. So if I feel like I'm falling behind on something or uh, I want to know how to approach something, uh, I try to you know, do, do it with uh, uh, initiative. And things aren't always going to work out for you. Don't give up. Uh, if that's what you want, keep your eyes fixed on, the, on what your career goals are and keep a positive attitude. And uh, in my particular uh, case, you know, I was not able to, to join the Air Force or to go to the academy, but I am now in a position where I get to interact with people in uniform every day. And I found that's a, that's, that was very rewarding. And I worked hard to get myself in an environment that I'm in today. And when a lot of people along the line may have said no, uh, I, I, don't, I didn't take no for an answer. I kept uh, pushing at it. So know what you want and be willing to go after it. Yeah, and that's, is that something you've seen a lot then um, with the newer workforce coming in, like not being as risk adverse that you mentioned? Well, when new, when new people come in, you know, they're, they're, there's a little bit of trepidation that they're, they're going to do something wrong or offend somebody. As long as you let people know what you're thinking about and what, what your technical opinion is and you can back it up, uh, people are going to accept new ideas. Now, sometimes you have to work hard to find the right venue to for that new idea to take shape. And I'll, I'll use the digital hangar as an example. You can say that to some people and they'll be like, what is that? What are you talking about? But then other people immediately get it. 
and uh, you have to be uh, willing to explain basically the same concept to different levels of people with different technical backgrounds to be able to get across what the value is of what it is that you're working on. Yeah, the whole point of what you've been telling us with this, uh, the digital hangar is for risk or help people that are risk adverse saying, hey, we're trying to cut down on larger risk tests we can run here first. We're, I mean, we're also looking at, uh, basically looking at new uh, methods for exploring science and technology that is going to allow us to uh, transition that in a much faster time frame than maybe what the lab is used to doing, so. Rick, thanks for joining us today. I learned a lot about what is digital engineering, um, what do you do with our digital hangar, and you left us with a lot of great advice for uh, future scientists and engineers. If, if you're listening and you want to know more about our scholarship opportunities and uh, fellowship programs for anywhere from high school to graduate or even postdoctoral uh, research, you can check out afresearchlab.com. And remember, stay curious. Logging off.